good afternoon uh because it's afternoon here uh good evening and good morning to those who are different parts of the world different time zones and i hope everyone's doing okay uh, i'm called charlie armel and i am a blogger i blog about uh, african history in general uh particularly about colonialism and its effects on modern day africa now for those who have been following my blog i have been talking on a lot about topics related to that i started with the the origins of color of colonial of colonization and uh, uh, i dive into how it became a thing in the world uh, during the, the the 15th 16th century and uh, how it evolved until colonization for africa now those who followed my last post i was talking about the scramble and the partition of africa but i took time to exclude the berlin west african conference which was one of the major uh, aspects of the the partition of africa because i want it to be a topic on its own so i'm just going to come back on what i wrote formally and give like an overview and try to make a comment or two now i want to remind everybody that why i write about these events i primarily do so because i want the readers to dive out of what i call the victor vanquish theory you know the theory where you win a war uh, and then you get to rewrite the history and you write it according to the way that suits you and the vanquished really don't have a say they just have to accept the way it's being told i please remember that i place a reminder that i write history from the perspective of africans who have been on the losing end in history for so long and our history has been rewritten severally to our own disadvantage and we seldom can find a place in today's world due to that it's time that someone showed the world how we lived these atrocious events not as victims but as people who are proud of the struggles our ancestors had to go through for us to be enlightened today for us to have a different view today and it's thanks to their struggle that we have sought our own version of independence that we're trying to ameliorate one way or the other so we have the solemn duty not to let the struggles and fights enter into oblivion now in my previous post i briefly highlighted the chronology of the transatlantic slave trade and concluded by announcing that we will dive into the partition and scramble of Africa. We should note that no era affected the socio-economic and political life of Africans like this one during the scramble. Countries, nations and states were redefined massively during this period by the colons who barely, who barely let Africans say anything in regards to their own destiny or fate. Uh, the Africans who are central to the story themselves, they didn't get any say in regards to that. It was solely uh, 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 determined by the colons, the European colons. Now, this shows us the fact that whenever uh, uh, the Europeans came to Africa, we didn't really have a say. They didn't really follow our customs or whatever they made here. They tried to destabilize everything and bring in their own version of how they want things to be. Now, I'm going to go from I'm going to go further with some background history as why. Uh, the scramble for Africa happens and why it it was so difficult at the start but after a particular period it went so quickly now by 1840 businessmen from Europe had already established small trading posts along the coast of Africa but they difficultly moved inland preferring to stay near the sea the primary traded with locals who lived along the coast large parts of the continents were on were, were essentially uninhabitable for Europeans because of the high mortality rates from tropical diseases such as malaria. 
the European explorers used the presence along the coast to map out much of East and Central Africa. This means before then, it was difficult for them to access really the continent like the way they wanted to. They wanted to go further inside, but it was difficult because they found that unlike the Africans, they had high a high mortality rate when it came to tropical diseases and uh, they couldn't proceed. And the interior of the continent was not really known, so they couldn't really move in along the way they wanted to. And they found it difficult, so they preferred to stay on the coast. And while staying on the coast, they took the advantage to map out the continent, the west part, the west and central uh, side of the, the continent and also the eastern side. Try to give some perspective into their, into their maps. Now, it's to note that even as late as the 1870s, Europeans controlled only 10% of the African continent. The most important holdings were Angola and Mozambique, which was held by Portugal, the Cape Colony, which was held by Great Britain, and Algeria, which was held by France. Now, by 1914, it's to note, I, I gave a span of 1870, now, by 1914, only Ethiopia and Liberia remained independent of European control. This would spare them of essentially appalling, the appalling reality of colonialism. They wouldn't have to go through that for most of their eras. Now, how do we find ourselves between 1870 and 1914? What really happened for them to be such a large progress that they went from not even controlling 10% to controlling nearly 98% of the of the of the of the continent we actually get to understand what happens for that drastic and dramatic change now how did they do that the colonizers the colons they gambled on technological advances which was facilitated by the the industrial revolution for the expansion in africa Industrialization brought about rapid advancements in transportation and communication, especially in the forms of steamships, railways, and telegraphs. Medical advances also played an important role, especially medicines for tropical diseases, which helped control the adverse effects. The development of quinine, an effective treatment for malaria, made vast, made vast expanses of the tropics more accessible for the Europeans. Now, we get to understand that the problems that they got to face in the 1840s, they actually found a remedy for it, it, it uh, around the 1870s, which facilitated their movements into the hinterlands of Africa. The, the mortality rate reduced due to the, 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 the creation of quinine, which uh, increased uh, the, the resistance and endurance towards malaria, which was the primary danger for them, the, the primary danger, excuse me, which was the, the the first source of diseases for them, so they found a way to that, and uh, the advancements of the steamships, also the railways, made it easier for them to move inside. Now, how did they move? How did they do that? By using forced labor mostly on the Africans to tr to build them railways and stations and all of those stuff. Now, when I say uh, forced labor. You might think it's just like, oh, go do that thing, oh, go do that. But it was much more harsher than that. And I'm going to expand on that when I get further into the, into the topic. Now, while in Europe, the need for these colonies, actually, it came about for some reasons. Colonies were seen as assets in balance of power negotiations, useful as items of exchange at times of international bargaining. Colonies with large native populations were also a source of military power. Britain and France used 
large numbers of British Indian and non-African soldiers respectively because like I said Great Britain they co that colonized India by then and France that colonized Algeria in North Africa so due to the large population of these colonies they would use the the, the locals from there to come and fight their war for them in Africa and they are going to do so again it's, the pattern, it's a pattern that repeated itself severally and they are going to do so again in the second world war and the first world war similarly now in the age of european nationalism where diff a lot of countries were finding were going through a nationalist movement we take example of germany there was a lot of pressure for a nation to acquire as a status of symbol the idea of greatness which became linked with uh, 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 the white man's burden they wanted to acquire an empire to feel great to feel respected by other european countries so this brought about the white man burdens in quotes or sense of duty underlying many nations strategies in my opinion it was a fallacy used to justify the worst nature in humans and the most atrocious acts of inhumanity portrayed by humans and its fellows now we're going to enter into the congo free state the congo free state we're going to talk about this much more uh, when we talk about the berlin conference but for now we're going to give an overview uh, the Congo Free State imposed such a terror regime on the colonized people, including mass killings and forced labor. Once again, forced labor is an understatement. That Belgium, under the pressure of the Congo Reform Association, ended Leopold II's rule and annexed it on the 20th of August 1908 as a colony of Belgium, known as Belgian Congo. Now, before that, before it known, it being known as Belgian Congo, it was known as the Congo Free State. Now, Free State, it was inside the clutches, controlled 98% by the king, not by Belgium, by the king itself. The king ruled it as his personal property and the way he seems fit. The king here being Leopold II. Now, the brutality of King Leopold II in his former colony of the Congo Free State, now known as the Democratic Republic of Congo, was very well documented, which is pretty rare for in Africa during that period. Up to... 8 million of the estimated 16 million of the native inhabitants died between 1885 and 1908 during the period which he held his tenure as the sovereign of the Congo Free State. Now, according to the former Irish diplomat Roger Kasma, this the population had four main causes. Indiscriminate work caused by the Belgians, starvation as a consequence, the reduction of births and also diseases. Now, the diseases in question you might mention sleeping sickness which ravaged the country and must be taken into account for the dramatic disease decrease in population in the Congo. It has been estimated that sleeping sickness and smallpox killed nearly half the population in the area surrounding the lower Congo River. These diseases also had no prevalence in Africa till the colonists arrived, so most experts assume that they came with it. Now, our history books won't tell us this, but uh it's really important that i say it myself because it's a matter that i hold at heart it's very personal to me so i'm going to say it i always tell myself if i could say something to the world if the world was listening to me for 20 seconds i'm going to tell them this that king leopold ii of belgium was the biggest criminal in history not adolf hitler or the other cited names our junior usually come across no it's important for africans and the rest of the world to keep this in mind because his name rarely comes up because of the Victor Vanquish theory, like I told you, which I spoke of earlier. This pattern will come up frequently in my next post 
for us to practically understand how it has influenced history throughout the ages. But this remains one sort of the biggest weapons of propaganda on earth. If you win a war, you're not going to say the brutal methods through which you use or whatever you're done to do that. You're just going to say there were rebels against you, but you fought and you won. And the vanquished would never really get to tell their own version of the story as to what happened, whether they were defending their own freedom. Because, you know, one person's rebel is another person's freedom fighter. Except these, in these circumstances, you have a people who are there in their homeland and living their lives. And there is a colon who comes in, uh, overpowers them, brings his own form of uh, 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 rule. And it turns out to be the most brutal rule in history. I'm going to get into the details of it uh, later about how King Leopold II ruled uh, Belgium. But to be honest, it's one of the most gory pieces of history ever, in my opinion. But it rarely ever gets uh, 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 spoken about. Well, but it's not really surprising because this is often the case when crimes are committed against people of color in general. Well, the Congo faced the most heinous crime in colonial. The Congo's faced uh, uh, the most heinous colonial crimes, but so did also many colonies in Africa. It's just like I said, most of them are not documented or spoken about. This modus operandi used to determine which European country acquired which territory is the beginning of our next topic, which is going to be the Berlin West African Conference. Now, before diving into that, I'd like to remind you guys, like I said, the crimes that were committed against Africans. People don't talk about it enough. I mean, people talk about the transatlantic slave trade and all, and that's good. It's one of the best things that's happened because most people take that into hand and be like, okay, something horrible was committed here. But it's not like when the Europeans uh, uh, brought uh, our brothers over to the Americas, they left the paradise here instead. On the contrary, they left hell on earth here, and it was so difficult for the people who were there at that period. They went through a lot of things, and we're going to try to cover as much them as much as possible for us to understand what went through actually. Now, like I said, we dive into the Berlin West African Conference, which was a series of negotiations which happened from November the fifteenth, uh, eighteen eighty-four, to February the twenty-sixth, eighteen eighty-five, in Berlin, in which the major European nations met to decide. All questions connected with the Congo River Basin in Central Africa. Now, the conference was proposed by Portugal in the pursuance of its special aim to control the Congo estuary, which was necessitated by the jealousy and suspicion with which the great European powers viewed one another in, in attempts at colonial expansion in Africa. Now, the General Act of the Conference of Berlin declared the Congo River Basin to be a neutral territory. In fact, that in no way deterred allies from extending their war into that area during World War I because it was a neutral area, but people didn't care. It actually guaranteed freedom of trade and shipping for all states in the basin, forbade slave trading, rejected all Portugal's claims over the estuary, therefore making it possible for the founding and the independent Congo Free State, to which Great Britain, France and Germany had already agreed uh, a priori in principle. So we see that uh, the Congo was a region that was really disputed due to its large mineral resources and all. So many European powers were fighting over it. Great Britain, France, Germany, Belgium, and Portugal. Now, Portugal had already made some particular claims over the estuary, which was, which was the most lucrative area of the Congo. But during the, during the conference, 
people came over, uh, the European nations came over and declared that uh, uh, during the conference that the Congo, the Congo River Basin had to be neutral, a neutral ground where everybody was, it was free to ship in accordance with some specific rules and all. So that was the reason, that was one of the major points of the conference. Now, to understand how King Leopold II of Belgium uh, uh, got into so much control of the Congo uh, uh, basin, the Congo area, uh, we have to go back to 1876. Now, Leopold had founded and controlled the International African Association in 1876, and he invited Henry Morton Stanley to join him in researching and civilizing, in quotes, the continent. Now, in 1878, the International Congo Society was also formed with more economic goals but closely related to the former society. Leopold II consequently bought off the foreign investors in the Congo society, which turned into, into imperialistic goals, with the African society serving primarily as a philanthropic fund. This means that he formed an association to regulate the trade in the Congo area, and inside the association, he bought off each and every person who was a member in that so that he can have sole uh, uh, control of it. And when he has sole control of it, he actually became the king of that area. And uh, 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 he used that area to, to control the members of the African society. So they were just there to invest as, if, as philanthropists, invest. Meanwhile, Leopold himself had all of the control in the area. It is to note that the African society had no African included. Now, between 1878 and 1885, Martin Stanley uh, returned to Congo, not as a reporter, as initially reported by Leopold, but as Leopold's personal agent with the secret mission to organize what would become known as the Congo Free State soon after the closure of the Berlin West African Conference in August 1885. French agents discovered uh, King Leopold's plans, and in response, France sent its own explorers to Africa. In 1881, the French naval officer Pierre de Braza was dispatched to Central Africa, and he traveled into the Western Congo Basin and raised the French flag over the newly formed Brazzaville in what is now the Republic of Congo. Now, finally, Portugal, who didn't want to be left out of the soup, also decided to claim all areas in the region due to some old treaties which were during the restoration era in Spain and the Roman Catholic Church. He quickly made a treaty on the 25th of February 1884 with his former ally Great Britain to block off the Congo society access into the Atlantic area of the, the, the Congo region. Now, in the 1880s, Many factors were responsible for an increased European involvement in the continent of Africa. These factors included uh, uh, diplomatic successes, greater European local knowledge, and the demand of resources such as gold, timber, and rubber triggered uh, the increase in, in the activities in the continent. Also, Henry Morton Stanley's charting of the Congo River Basin removed the last unknown place uh, from the European maps of the continent delineating the areas of the British, the Portuguese, the French, and the Belgian control. These European nations raised to annex territory that might be claimed by the rivals. Now, because of arising diplomatic incidents all over the Congo between all of the countries, all of the belligerent European nations, and in different parts of Africa also, Germany, uh, 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 who has been left out of the, the, the race for colonialism, uh, started launching expeditions of its own. 
which frightened both British and French statesmen. Hoping to quickly soothe the brewing conflict, the Belgian King Leopold II convinced France and Germany that common trade in Africa was in the best interest of all the countries. Now, under the support of the British and the initiative of Portugal, Otto von Bismarck, the new Chancellor of Germany at the moment, called the representatives of 13 nations in Europe as well as the United States to take part in the Berlin-West African Conference in 1884 to work out the point of joint policy over the African continent. Now, the countries that took part in the Berlin-West African Conference were Germany, Austria-Hungary, Belgium, Spain, Denmark, the United States, France, the United Kingdom, Italy, Netherlands, Portugal, Russia, Sweden, Norway, and the Ottoman Empire. During the conference, there were some resolutions or acts that were passed and generally accepted by the, the, the countries who attended the conference. Now, the first of these acts was the abolition of slavery and slave trade all over the, the, the colonies. Now, this wasn't because the, the, the signatories didn't want to, but it was to gain public acceptance back in their home countries because slave trade was becoming really against the, the, the morals and virtues of the Europeans as I explained formally in my previous blog. So to gain acceptance, they decided that slavery had to be banned inside all of the territories in Africa that they wanted to occupy. One of the most important aspects of the conference also and the resolutions was the acceptance by other European nations of the International Congo Society, which was founded by King Leopold II, as I explained above. Uh, but the name, the Congo Free State, was actually not used during the conference because it did not appear in any act. It's actually later, from August the 1st, that it started uh, uh, being called so the Congo Free State and King Leopold II was considered the sovereign of the new state. Again, an issue that was never discussed but decided by Leopold on himself on his own accord. Now, the next act or resolution that was passed during the Berlin Conference was that the 14 signatory powers which I called above, would have free trade throughout the Congo Basin, as well as Lake Malawi and the area surrounding it. This also meant that the Niger and the Congo rivers were made free for ship traffic to all of the signatory countries. Another resolution was that any fresh act of taking possession of any portion of the African coast would have to be notified by the power taking possession of it or assuming a protectorate to the other signatory powers. That means if you take over the coast of a country, you are going to have to notify the other countries who are signatory to the Berlin West African Conference as to the fact that you have taken over it so that there should not be any conflict of interest anymore. Now, there were many other minor resolutions and acts passed during the Berlin West African Conference, but the most important one I saved it for last was the principle of effective occupation. Now, this principle stated that powers could acquire uh, European powers in, in, in this regard, could acquire rights over colonial lands only if they possess them and had effective occupation. That means that they have had the need to have treaties with local leaders, flew their flag and establish an administration in the territory to govern it with a local police force and also a police force from the Europeans to keep order inside the colony. Now, the colonial power could also make use of their respective overseas possessions as effective occupation served in some instances as a criterion for setting disputes over boundaries between colonies. However, the Berlin Act was limited to the territories that fronted on the African coast. 
European powers in, the, in numerous instances later claim rights over lands in the interior without demonstrating the requirement for effective occupation because the lands in the hinterlands were not really regulated by the Berlin Act in itself. Now, the principle of effective occupation, despite it making sense to most of the signatories at the conference, was heavily contested by Germany and France. The Germans, who were relatively new to the continent, uh, difficultly had access into the hinterlands of the continent, unlike the other countries who had been there for a longer period and actually had more links with the insides of the continent. Now, this brings us actually to the aftermath of the conference and why I said it was one of the most important. The scramble in itself at the conference as uh, uh, particularly was one of the, the biggest influences towards Africa as we have it today. Now, this is because during that period, uh, after the conference, the European countries became more hostile to each other in Africa while trying to apply the, the, the rules of effective occupation. And there were a lot of backstabbings and all of those while trying to do that. But in the end, uh, uh, colonialism was introduced nearly across the whole continent. And it went on for so long that when African independence was regained after the Second World War, it was in the form of a lot of fragmented states, countries that were already divided, countries that had been together for so long, nations and people who had been together for so long had been fragmented and divided by the Europeans for long periods, so much that most of them didn't really remember where they came from. And when independence came, in, the wave of independence came into Africa after the World War, well, there were a lot of fragmented countries like we already find them today. So this is how, or this was the biggest influence of the, the, the scramble for Africa after the Berlin Conference. Now, everything I've highlighted above are historical facts. Now, historians have long marked the Berlin-West African Conference as the formalization of the scramble of Africa. Now, as an African in my own regards, I'm going to give my own particular point of view in regards to the Berlin-West African Conference. Now, how I see it, it's just a bunch of European powers who sat uh, in Berlin and decided the fate of millions and millions of Africans without even one participating. They just sat in their own area and in their own regards arrogated themselves the right to control an entire continent just like that without even consulting them or anything. They were like, okay, this is Africa. I'm going to take this part of the cake. You're going to take this part of the cake and all without considering the people who were there, their historical values, their customs, anything of the sort. The objective actually, like Leopold II said, was to come and civilize Africa. But you cannot civilize an area that already has a, civil has a civilization. There were a lot of uh, 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 functioning states in Africa already, like uh, uh, a lot of states that we knew. They had their own wars, they had their own grievances, they had their own flaws, but they were functional states. And they were functioning according to a way of being. Now, the only difference is that since Africa remains uh, essentially secluded from the rest of the world, the Industrial Revolution hadn't yet occurred there. And because of that, Europeans actually took a big leap while thinking that they could actually civilize an area which was already civilized. And when they came in, they faced uh, 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 opposition from a lot of these peoples that they were coming to annex or conquer because... 
those people had their ways of life already they were not waiting for a savior to come and teach them civilization and all of that they were just behind because of the lack of industrial revolution i think that was the i think that was the biggest deal breaker and these european nations just sat down and said that this is going to be the future of africa and that's why i mentioned that at the end of it when africa africa was made up of a lot of huge states actually which were controlled essentially by powerful kings and all and uh, smaller states which was controlled by uh, 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 smaller kings also and there were a lot of intertribal wars and all of that in regards to that in regards to that but that was the way of functioning one way or the other they had been used to functioning that ways for centuries and centuries upon centuries now when these european nations came in they brought in so many fragmentations among the european countries that brought up a lot of differences of 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 uh, uh, nationalism into a lot of different other countries by the end of the second world war when the wave of nationalism blew and independence blew over africa and people were looking for their independence they were not looking for the independence the way they were before colonization because they couldn't know what that was anymore there was not doc- it was not documented enough for them to know that these people were formerly my people or these people were not they were now obliged to look for independence as the states which the europeans had imposed upon them at the beginning and this is why i said that it is so important this conference was so important in the affairs of african countries like we have them today and that's why it actually aligns with the general topic colonization and the effects on modern africa like we have it today there we actually see a major effect this scramble was a major well, effect of this actually brings today. us to our next topic the topic that we're going to be discussing next in the podcast and on the blog post I hope most of you guys are going to subscribe. Uh, for those who who don't want to read, well, you can listen to the net the next podcast. For those who want to read, I'm sure I'm going to put in a a link, and you you're able you're going to be able to read our next topic. Our next topic is going to be Africa and the First World War. You know how Africa was how Africa received the First World War and how it actually affected and changed the physiognomy of Africa the way we have it today. The same way. Uh, the, the the partition and the scramble for africa did so i hope you guys are going to subscribe a lot and thank you for listening to me always um you know where to reach me uh, i'm always available for anybody who has questions under my blog post there's a space for uh for comments and all i'm always reading those so if you want to to give to ask some questions or a rectification or maybe you feel like uh, i have interpreted something wrongly i'm always open to that make sure that you get to me and uh, i'm going to listen to you and give you my perspective exchange with you and we we'll try to find common ground for that uh take care of yourselves and uh, have a nice day for everyone who's listening